Hello foodies, a very warm welcome to our very first episode of the Breaking Bread podcast. The podcast that gives foodies a real insight into the people who make our food scene so amazing. We aim to be given this insight by interviewing people from all over the industry, from chefs, restaurateurs, restaurant designers, independent breweries and food producers. We hope to be doing at least one of these interviews a month alongside our Breaking Bread review show that will be hosted by me, my food-obsessed pal, Carl. My name's Liam and I decided to start the podcast because I love food and I talk way too much. I really hope you enjoy listening to these podcasts as much as I've enjoyed making them. So today's interview is with Ollie Ashworth from Street Food Favourites, The Brownie Bus. We had a great conversation which I really enjoyed. I'm a massive fan of street food scene and was very interested to get an insight into what it really takes to run a street food business. Thanks to Ollie for volunteering to be our first ever guest. I really hope you all enjoy. Ladies and gentlemen, Ollie Ashworth. Hello mate, nice to meet you. Uh, my name's Ollie Ashworth. I run a street food company called The Brownie Bus. It is a brownie-based dessert business trading out of a little classic French van that is lovingly named Etty. Etty, because it's a Renault Estafette. Correct. Well remembered. Um, been going three months now, so still very much in its infancy. Early days. Very, very early days. It's it's been hard. Not gonna lie. My background: I was a chef and a barman. Went to uni, did the same things again at uni up in Leeds. Came back, left the chef trade because hours are long. Hours are long. <laughs> very yeah. hard work. Went and did a boring office job for a couple of years. And where, where did you um, say you were a chef? So I worked for Screen Pubs in Wolverhampton, so both front and back of house. And then I worked for them up in Leeds as well. I worked for a restaurant bar and grill. And I worked for the uni itself for a couple of years doing like their actual, they used to put on events to try and raise money. Yeah. So I used to do the cooking for them too. And then when I came back to Birmingham, I worked for a company called St. Kitchen, which is in the jewellery quarter. It's like a nice little independent cafe, so I worked quite Fancy avocado toasts, that sort oh, of thing. Nice, yeah. Real, real, real hipster. <laughs> Plenty of beards. <laughs> yeah, very much, mate. Uh, did you enjoy working in the restaurants or are you glad to be out of it? It's one of those things. I very much like people, so it's always I've always done both front and back of house. So when I went and did proper, proper restaurant work, just being in the kitchen was a bit strange for me because I quite like, I love cooking, but I also like the interaction with the people. So... That was something that I, I did miss when I was there, and also your, your lifestyle, as I know you know, is it's quite difficult, especially when you're 20 and all your mates are going out, and you're like, oh, I would want, I want to go out too. Yeah, it's, so, it's Saturday night. It's half nine, ten o'clock. They're all out, half scuttered. You're yeah. on the clean down. <laughs> exactly, mate. Exactly. Yeah. And then you're up and again the next, <laughs> up again for the next morning to do an open. You got to, if you're there for a delivery or something like that. So. Yeah, That's the thing you see on telly, it looks like such a like glamorous life, doesn't it? The TV chef, and I don't know if people really appreciate just how tough that game is. Mate, exactly. When I left, when I told all the people I worked with in my sales job what I was going to go back to do, I was going to go to uni, I was going to go back into cooking. They were all like, "You're so lucky." I'm like, "You clearly have never worked in a kitchen if you think that this is luck." I mean, I think it was my choice, so I it was something I wanted to do, but. I, I would never say that someone is lucky to have chosen it. The, the thing I find is there's nowhere to hide. No, no, no. You've got to be, this is your passion 100% and you've got to love it. <laughs> if you don't, 
You're going to get found out real You're going to get found out. <laughs> it's going to be obvious because now, because like you say, I think because of the chef life has been glamorized because of TV and that stuff. But because there's so much food on TV, people's expectations have changed massively. So you can't get away with putting out really poor product and charging a decent price for it. Because people go, well, this is rubbish compared to what I've had somewhere else. That's just really true. People just expect so much. I mean, I remember, if you think back what I used to go out and eat maybe 10 years ago, and it's good because I think it pushes the whole standard forward. Definitely. But for me, being... A street food trader it's the stigma of the greasy burgers and like hot dogs at the side of the road uh, is almost it's starting to go away because of places like dip of dining club places like that street food festivals becoming more popular people don't see it as inferior anymore but whereas like you say 10 years ago if you stopped at a van you'd probably be like not sure i'm not expecting much here. exactly whereas the way i said it now if somebody says so oh, What's that Dick with Dining Club you went to? I'll say, well, it's restaurant quality food from a novelty van or, or a um, gazebo or something like that's that. What that's very much what they're trying to push, exactly mate. And, the, and the, you can tell the, the people that stay there are the ones that are doing good food. And the, people, and the ones that they try and don't do very well tend to be because it's not great. Well, that's what I was about to say. I was about the, um, the unique thing with a, a street food business, I, I think. The very short amount of the, the very small window of opportunity you have with a customer. I think it takes ten seconds to walk straight past the street food vendor. You gotta catch their eye. And then you gotta I think the friend if you're not friendly, the customer service isn't there. If the, it, I walk past the street food vendor and he's there on his phone or she's on her phone and she looks disinterested, I'm probably not gonna try that. You're not going to make the curb appeal similar if, like when you're buying a house, but it's the same with street food. Like if your stand doesn't look good, is it clean, is it well lit? Like you say, you're not presented well. People aren't going to do it because most of the places you're going to, there's five, six, seven, eight different options. So if you're the one who stood there not looking like you're caring, they can go three foot away and get something that's almost equally as good, if not better. So you are right, mate. And that's why, that's where all these... That's where all the novelty vans come in, like you say. That's why we all want the classic-looking little French things that people want to. People can see from across the field or across the like whatever event they are, and go, "What's that? I want to check it out." Oh, it's got a giant well-lit sign at the top of it. I know what that says. I'm making a beeline for it. The thing with vintage vans, <laughs> <laughs> I think you know where I'm going with this. I probably do. Yeah. You do have a few problems with them. You do, yeah. It's this, this. So to give you a bit of a full, full story behind mine, mine is forty-four years old. So that's almost as old as the two of us sat here together. It's been an experience with a blesser. So I bought it from a very nice guy up in Wakefield, whose business is now importing them because they're so popular in this country that clearly someone's filling that void by bringing them over and selling them on. Um, but. Let's just say it didn't work very well when I bought it and it was quite rusty. So it took from January of this year when I bought it and it was finally ready for its first event mid-July. So that's seven months of trying to find out, get people to do the paintwork, get people to fix it, get someone to convert the inside and all of those things put together because it's all very specialist and there isn't really one person or company that does all of it, 
it's quite difficult to manage it yourself and then get all of that to work in harmony at the time you want it to because unfortunately they're all running their own businesses your project is just one project to them which that's fine it's the way it is but to you it's your entire life yeah. so it's very stressful when so for example i got the conversion done down in western supermare so you came yourself the other day i'm very proud of it it looks, it looks really nice inside but that's stunning yeah they ran a couple of weeks over, and because, but because I was rushing because I wanted to get ready for the summer, they ran a couple of weeks over, and then I was sending it down to London to have a bit of mechanical work done for it. And I missed my slot with him because he's a busy man because he's running the business and he can't wait a couple of weeks for me to deliver my van. So it's one of them, but it is very much what I consider part of. It's it's integral to the business because as much as I back my food, like I'm really proud of my desserts. There's quite a few people doing desserts out there, so you need to have a bit more of a USP. And for the type of events that I want to do, the van is key. Like, I really, so I, I did an event the other day where I didn't think I was going to have the van, because again, it's currently broke down. Will be fixed very soon, but I thought I was going to have to go into a gazebo, and I really like them, and you can make them look really good, but I didn't have time to make it look the way that I wanted to do, especially in comparison to the van. Yeah. So I was absolutely dreading trading from something that didn't look great because even though I've only been going a couple of months, I've got used to people walking past and pointing at the van and going, oh, look at that. Or, and it, it's not to talk stereotypes, but it does tend to be your slightly dad age fellas coming up and going, oh, that's an estafet, I like it. I'm like, thank you very much, mate. Cheers, you know your cars. So. Did you have a, a certain van in mind when you went Massively, so I wanted a Citroen H van, which are the big everyone, <laughs> everyone exactly. But and because of that, supply and demand means that one that doesn't work, even without an engine. If you could look, have a quick look on eBay, it's you're talking fifteen grand, and I would, that's not the sort of money that I wanted to spend. So I had to sort of readjust my expectations of what I wanted, and like, I really wanted an Airstream as well. So there's a, there's a trader out there called Flying Cows who do some really good burgers. He's got an Airstream and it's class looking, but they're like 40 grand. Yeah, and very, it's like... Very dear. You can't, you can't, unless you unless you've got, a, unless you can go and get a bank loan, you can't start, do that as a startup. But that's, that's the sort of thing that you're going you're gonna to need to do if you start in a gazebo, save your money, then get one of them. But I wanted to do it sort of the other way around, which meant I had to go for a a cheaper van yeah. and then try and make it look as nice as I possibly could but I lost out on some size as you like you say so Liam came and saw me at an event the other day and he noticed just how tight it is inside the van yeah, it's pretty tight it's pretty tight I'm not I'm not a small bloke myself and there's like moving around in there is a, it's a skill I'll say so how close is it to being finished now it should be finished in about three days it's been gone a month which as a new business was Hard, which just meant that I'd essentially have to scramble, cancel some events, which I hated doing, and then try and scratch around for work from any previous employers or some other street food traders who've been kind enough to let me go and help them to just support myself for the last month. What and yeah. <laughs> while I've been emailing the mechanics every day, going, "Is it fixed? Can I have it back, please?" Did you find that the street food community quite understanding when you can't make an event or? The some of the events that organisers were some of them are not bothered. So it, it seems very much depends on the size of the company. So there's quite a large company who literally, like I just said, yeah, fine, I'm not bothered. Like you've lost your deposit, 
that is what it is. And then a much smaller one, who I was the one that I really didn't want to miss was Oktoberfest in Shrewsbury. Can we go all Shropshire Festivals? They were a lovely team. Like I spoke to them like a couple of months before, and it was clear that the van wasn't coming back. And they were as, they were supportive. They were they were as nice as you could have ever imagined to me. Like I was really pleasantly surprised because I was expecting them to be quite annoyed because it was my first event with them as well. So it doesn't paint a great impression of you when you're cancelling your first event. But no, they were lovely, and hopefully they'll let me trade with them at an event in another couple of months. So doesn't seem to be any hard feelings. No, I wouldn't say so. I mean, they want to have them brownies at that festival, don't they? <laughs> hopefully, mate, hopefully. <laughs> so hopefully. I was going to say to you then, yeah, the van is the uh, USP, but if the quality of the product isn't there, it doesn't matter how good that van looks. Agreed, mate. The van can only get people to come and have a look at it. And if... lucky for you then, brownies. <laughs> incredible. Thank you very much, Absolutely mate. Absolutely incredible. Yeah, yeah. And I'll quite... definitely say if I didn't. I uh, made, yeah, well, you, you can cook, you know, I know, I know, you know what you're um, about. Do you make, you obviously make them all from scratch. I make everything. So that was one thing I wanted to do when I started this business. So I can't, I don't feel comfortable selling something to someone that I haven't made because I don't, I don't think the quality's there. So I just, I could just make the brownies and buy the ice cream and buy the sauce and buy the cookies, but I didn't want to do it. So I've made it harder for myself. It's so much easier to do that. So much easier. Probably similar in price, to be fair. Well, no, it's cheaper to make them, but then you've got to factor in how long it takes me to make them. So, for example, if I did a couple of day event at the weekend and I took, I don't know, 300 portions, that would take me four days in the kitchen, all day. I think what people don't understand is when you have your own business, I think your most valuable commodity is your time. Yeah, there's always something to do. So, I've got admin that I really need to get on with but that's one of those things but you just because I've been trading the last couple of days and then I'm working for somebody else yesterday you just you just run out of time and you just have to get catch up when you can but it's when you're when you've just started you haven't got other people to rely on you can only rely on your friends and your family and everyone everyone that loves you to help as much as you can but there it's only help it's not like you're employing someone so maybe down the line that'd be something I could do but at the moment, yeah, it's just how much time, what can I do in the time that I've got? As just, we were, you, you kind of said there, you, you had your first ever Dig Book Dining Club um, Thursday night. How did that go? Really well, really well. Um, apart from the stress of getting a broken van in and out of quite a tight venue, but to be fair, they were good and they, they helped when I got there. It went about as well as it can be expected. They're trying to grow Thursdays. Thursdays are quite, still haven't been going very long for them. I think they had three or four hundred people through the door, which for Big Buff is lower than your Fridays and Saturdays. Anyone that's been will know that it is busy at the weekend. But it's 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 growing. And I spoke to so I was there last night working for somebody else, and I spoke to one of the organisers, and he said that's the best that they've had someone do desserts on Thursday in months. So quite proud of that. Yes, yeah, very good. Means that it's good feedback on social media. People. Quite a few people actually said to me, we've come specifically to see you. And considering that it's my first one, that means that they've almost unlikely to have ever tried my food before. So they've only just they've only seen a picture on social media of a brownie and gone, that's what I want. So It's a pretty impressive picture though. Well, there's been, to be fair, I am terrible at photography. I'm very, very lucky that there's been some quite uh, generous food bloggers who've tried my food and have 
taking some very, very nice pictures for me and that I can now share around and go, look what I can do. Yeah, <laughs> so, because shared by Dick with Diane, that was just class man. Yeah, they, 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 um, they do look lovely. It's, I mean, obviously I try my best to make the food look nice, but there's the lighting and the, actual, like, what, the quality of the camera and all that stuff. I don't know. What well, your eyes see and what phone looks like two different Very different things and different. angles and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, it's, it's, it's very much something that I'm happy about that it looks it's it's so it looks so nice to promote, which it's 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 good. But and and again, like you said, what it looks like on a picture and what the van looks like is all second to what it eats like personally. So was there any kind of added pressure with the fact that Big Bird Dining's so big and they've done so much for the street food kind of thing in Birmingham? Oh, I'm not going to lie, I was nervous. It was my first. It's the big. It was the biggest event I've in terms of importance to me. I've done a couple of others that were bigger in terms of size, but the, it was the most important event I've done so far by an absolute distance, just because it's so well known. Dig with the game, been going for six years. It's so popular. You get it, if you become a regular with them, you're gonna get your name known and that will hopefully lead to more work and obviously continued work with them. It can only be beneficial for your business. So yeah, it was, I, I, I was nervous. There was some pressure, like, but I, so I'm, I made sure everything was about as perfect as I could. And you, it was successful? So. It was successful, yeah, hopefully. You got there in the van, in Etty. In Etty, Etty was there, Etty was there. Which she was, made her impression. She did, did. She did make her impression, but yeah, Etty was there. How do you prepare for an event like that? Like, how do you know how many cautions to make? And... It's very much trial and error. Digworth, fortunately, have been going so long and that they know how many people are going to come and when, that there, if you speak to the organisers, they will tell you. So, for example, for Thursdays, they said, bring 50 to 100, bring more than that if you want to, but that's what generally what people sell. And they have, a, they will send round an email for each of their events saying, this is how many traders we've got, this is how many uh, people we're expecting through, that equals every trader to bring X amount. So that, that's very good. Smaller events, you really don't know. You just, and because, especially outdoor ones, it could rain. So, for example, my... Second ever event was an event called Harbour Night Markets. I know it well, yeah. It's, it's, it's good. It's, it's very new event. Blessing Ben asked me to go to the first two, so I was absolutely delighted to. And none of us knew though, because it's a brand new event. It, it sounded good. Like people like street food, that's people are into that at the moment, but. Harbour's a busy place. Harbour's a busy place. It's quite an affluent area. The catchment's got the right, but. And it, and it ended up being an incredibly popular event. But if, if it had rained, no one would have come. And all of my, and everyone and all the traders that were there would have taken a couple of hundred portions and sold not many because people don't want to stand outside and eat in the rain. So you've, you've, got to, you've got to just guess really. And it comes with experience. Like I know that I massively oversubscribed in terms of how many portions I was taking to my first few events just because I was being an optimist. And that's, you hope that, that you hope that you're going to sell them all, but then it rains, the event isn't quite as well publicised as it could have been, etc, etc, etc. And then you end up coming back. I'm quite lucky that a lot of my product has a decent shelf life and I keep everything refrigerated and frozen, depending on what the product is. So it will extend that even if I don't have to. So like brownies are an ambient product, but I keep them in the fridge because I want to. So I, if I've got an, another event that weekend, I can get away with it and I can sell, use them the next day. But there's, I know, for example, like, guys doing fried chicken and stuff like that. If you have a bad day, 
you've just lost that. that you, yeah. There's nothing you can do. That's gone. Right. So it's, it is hard. But it, that's the same in that's the same in, in restaurants. Like you can do as much prep as you want, and then if people, you have a quiet Friday night, you've wasted a lot of food. It's all about learning. Sometimes the hard way. Very much. Like, yeah. Very much. But have you had any tough events? Yeah, yeah, a couple. So, being so new, you sort of just have to take any work that's offered to you because you want to get your name out there. You want people to see that you're going to events, and therefore other organisers will want you. But because of that, you end up taking some events that maybe don't suit your business as well as they can, or like I say, are the first. So Harbour worked out really well. That was the first one of theirs. But then I did one over in Wolverhampton that was the first of it, and. Possibly because there was a Wolves game on at the same time and there was another another event on a few miles away. Not many people came, so there was a, quite a few traders there and no one really sold very much. So that's hard. But How did you stop yourself from just getting a bit down beat? It's very difficult, but as you said earlier, it's, it's a customer service industry. So even if I'm pulling my hair out, what's left of it, and thinking oh, I'm not even going to make my pitch through back today, if there's, if there's people around, you can't let them see that you're unhappy. Right? You've just got to smile. And get, it does help having someone else on the band with you, especially at the moment when it's friends and family and whoever, to try and keep you a bit happy and gee you up. So, so if you kind of pre-prepare, that you might have a disappointing day, but the next one might be brilliant. You've got to accept it. You've got to accept it. You, it's one of those things like, you've got to take it. The amount of times in this process that I've said about the van, about events, I've just got to take it on the chin. And that seems to have been a bit of a mantra over the last like six, six seven months because stuff goes wrong and stuff doesn't work out exactly the way you want it to. But then it's absolutely amazing when it does. So you, you've, got to, you've got to accept that there's going to be some hard events. There's going to be some events that you sell nowhere near what you want. But then the ones that are good and it's busy and you do a couple of hundred covers and you, it's, it feels like it's been five minutes, but it's been four hours. That's what makes it worth it. So you said you went to um, UCB. I did. I did my so when I came back when I left the aforementioned boring sales job, I found working in the corporate industry that my qualifications were seen as okay because I had a degree, but nothing special. What was your degree in? Hospitality management, which because yeah. I naively when I first went to uni didn't realise that there was culinary arts management, which is what I went to do at UCB as a masters. Didn't know that existed. So if I did, I would have gone and done that. Having found that people wanted more than just a degree from me, I was like, okay, that's fine. I'm going to kill two birds with one stone. I want to go back into cooking. I didn't have to go and further myself in education, but I personally thought that whatever happens to me, it's not going to hurt me to have a master's. So I went to UCB in 20, September 2016 and finished in January of this year. Glad you did it. Worked out good. Yeah, it was good. I learned. I learned loads. I'm not going to lie. When I went, this street food was not my intention. I was planning on going either into either some like recipe development or to try and work for a corporate kitchen because it's steady, decently paid jobs, and that's what that's what the masters would have qualified me to do. And you could have done that. Got paid quite well. Sad up into the sunset house. Like, the yes. point is, the point is that I could still do that. It's still there. Yeah. Like, I'm not going to be any less qualified if I give up this or if I sell it in a couple of years. Like, 
not that anyone would buy at the moment, but it's, not, it's never, never not going to be there. So I could still go and do that if that's something that I choose to do for a bit more easy hours. Or it's still a very brave decision to go out on your own. Oh yeah, so trying to convince my, telling my family that having them all know what I was going to do in Masters 4 and what the idea was, that I wasn't going to do that anymore and I, I was going to buy a van and go and pedal brownies to people. Who was I, there a certain moment where you were at like a big book dines or somewhere like that and you thought, I could do this? So I've loved, I've loved these events. I've loved, I've loved going to food festivals, being, being a chef, you'll know, you, you, you've got to love food. So trying other people's food and going to these events. That's what I was doing socially. And as you said before, if you've got a passion for something, try, you should try and make it into something that you're going to do. So I was like, well, I love cooking, but why don't I go and do that? That looks fun. And obviously, naively not realising how, quite how hard it is, but I think everyone says that. So I've been doing that. I did, I did go to Digbeth. I did have a look around. I was, then while at UCB, we had someone from NCAS, which is the governing body. No, NCAS, yeah. So yeah. Uh, just tell us who NCAS are, sorry. So it's, it's the National Caterers Association. They are the governing body for all mobile street traders and caterers and people like that. They support you with your legals, things, your risk assessments, essentially help you with the HO, everything, anything that you need in terms of like the actual legal side of your business, they help you because they want everyone that's trading to be operating as legally and safely. So they would be your first point of call if you ever had the decision. Oh, definitely. Even before you decided, if you were going to even thinking about doing it, I would call them because then, to be fair, they've been they're very helpful. They're based in Birmingham as well. If you want to go and see them, so they're good. So one of their directors came to uni and did a bit of a talk. Also, a, a very now well-known street food trader came with him called Leader Sands, who does baked in brick. Who's if anyone's been to the custard factory, you know he's got a you know, very successful restaurant. So they both came because one of our modules at UCB was to do a project management module and shockingly enough it was to set up a street food store outside of the uni. So you can probably see where this is going. Me and a close mate of mine actually who is also now a street food trader. She does morridge, doing like posh porridges and healthy food and that. Yeah, I've seen our social media. Very much the opposite way that I went to be fair. Um, we were together and we set up a store doing bows. So the Asian buns and and some suey, dim sum suey, exactly. Um, which, by the way, they are horrendous to make. Don't try and make those. Um, so we did, we set that up um, in a bit of a competition with a few other groups at uni, and we won. And Mark from NCAS and Lee gave us a bit of a nice, nice few words and then a bit of an award for us. So that was nice. But yeah, so that bef just even before that module, I'd been thinking about doing this, and then how much I loved doing that was like, right, okay, that's, this is, it's, there's a lot to do, but it's, it is doable. We, like we, between the two of us, we did it in, we did it in a couple of weeks and then we spent a day trading outside of UCB, shilling bowels. So that was good. Who was your customers then? It was all the, it was all the students. Oh, so it wasn't, they, they're not, unfortunately, because we weren't actually a company, we're not allowed to sell to the public. So it was it was in the courtyard of one of the UCB buildings. So we had to try and promote it to all the students to say, "Come try our food, and if you like it, give it to me." I think it's an excellent asset to the city of Birmingham, um, UCB. Oh well, Birmingham is a massive university town, but the, in terms UCB, to be fair, the what they've got in terms of facilities did blow me away because if you walk past it it's one tall building they've got a couple of other buildings around that they do lectures in but 
you don't get to see what they've got. Like there's six kitchens on every floor, and they're the most well-equipped kitchens that I've ever been in. Like you've worked in industry, most industry, most industry kitchens, the stuff doesn't work. Everything's held together with like gaffer tape. Like you can't put one thing on at the same time as the other because the fuses will trip. But you like you go to UCB and they've got like incredible like like test kitchens with like sensory rooms and you're like okay maybe this is all right yeah fair play this is a new level <laughs> so yeah so no it, it is good i would i i recommend it to anyone that wants to go especially as you don't have to have a degree or any level of like that edu- real like high level education to go to the chef industry but if you want to be a manager if you want to start running your own thing you do need some skills other than knife skills <laughs> to actually make it work so got to be a direct correlation between how good we have that college is in Birmingham and the amount of top quality restaurants and chefs we have in Birmingham. I've, I've never known the standard to just be so high. Well, you're right. Birmingham as a food scene is, according to the news, is only really second to London in the UK at the moment. There's a few other cities that are doing very well, but Birmingham food scene is massive. And you're not, you're not wrong. I know from speaking to the tutors when I was there that especially like the younger chefs when they go to UCB they all get sent on placements so they go get to work for Glyn Pennell they go to Simpsons so like those sorts of experiences are going to be incredible if you, like if I was if I was 17 and I went to, and I went to like college and got sent there as a placement it'd be a dream I'm like so the fact that that's available if you're around here is fairly impressive it's incredible yeah no you're not wrong though mate like, the, like I say the food, the food scene out here is it's improving all the time. You're getting a bit of a wider variety of stuff as well. Like, for example, I don't know if you've heard of there's a there's a place called Gaijin Sushi that I've been to that's like winning awards. Like Jay Rayner did like the best review he's done in like ten years because he went there. Like it's like and that's in Birmingham. That that sort of thing used to be London only. It's really hard to just keep up with everything that's opening. Um, every week there seems to be something new and something good. And, something and lots of them tend to seem to be independents as well, which Excellent. being being a being an independent operator myself it's something I really like to support like you want to see it like, and that's that's like calling back to what we said earlier on to be fair like it's it's what people want now that I think people are going away from the change you look at you see in the news and be like Prezos are closing down and like Jamie's restaurants are not doing as well as they once were but independent restaurants are doing better than ever because people want great food and I think they also want to buy from someone specific they want to know that Oh, it's the guy they can see behind them that owns it. They're actually supporting him, not a fairly like, nameless corporation. And that's what's that's what's good about being around here. There's loads of those to choose from. Like independent Birmingham, independent Liverpool, and all those like organisations that are around them. Yeah, they're excellent. they're brilliant. That's what people want. I think these days. I think it is. I think people are just seem to be just moving away from the more of the chain. The chains they do what they do, and that's fine. But. I think it's like what we started this whole conversation by saying was people's expectations of food has just gone up. You, you don't have to go to a real posh restaurant, feel uncomfortable and eat and eat the best food in the world. You don't have to, I mean, have you been to the wilderness? I have, yeah, it's good. Alex Farage, what a place, you know, they're playing rock music, there's, there's no lift music as they call no, it. No, 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 well, have you been to origin, Original Patty then? I have. Oh, that's, that's, that's one of my favorite, like, I went there the first time, and it's in, it's, it's, in, it's industrial, they're blaring some hip-hop, which I love. You have to love. queue to get in the door. You're queuing for a burger, which, like, 
who would have thought that was going to happen a few years ago? But it's brilliant. Like, and those, and clearly they're popular. Like, if you've got a queue on a Thursday night at seven o'clock, you are doing something very, very well. I went on a Sunday morning just as it opened. And it was really? A, it wasn't a special Sunday. We just happened to be in Birmingham and we thought we'd just go for a burger. It's good then. Like, it is, it is, it's, it's good food. And but that's originated from street food. They were street food vendors. Exactly. You don't have to look at um, Lower Trinity Street and the difference now compared to what it was when they first started Big Buff Dining Club. I think Big Buff Start, Big Buff Dining Club started, I think, just the last Friday of every month. Mm-hmm. And now they're Thursday, Friday. Saturday. Thursday, Friday, Saturday. They're, gonna, they're starting to put a few Sundays in there, there, and they've got their satellite events in like Shrewsbury, Console, and Coventry. Don't get me wrong. I'm not. I'm not getting paid to talk about Big Buff. But if you're in the Birmingham area and you're into food at all, you know about. It. Even if you're not, that's the thing. People like the, the crowd has slightly changed. It's not quite as foodie. It's a bit of a more of a destination now because it's so popular. But you're right. If you look at the what's built up around there, because let's face it, 10, 15 years ago, Big Buff was not the place that you wanted to go on a night out. But just even within like 500 yards, you've got Ghetto Golf, which yeah, is incredibly exactly. popular now. Like they've got street food in there, so like. It is, it is better. Yeah. And they've got, you've got Boxed, you've got Taste and Liquor, they're all, they're all running events around Digbeth. So it, it, is, it is helping the area. Where do you see the business going in the next kind of five years? I set out, obviously I want, street, want to do street food events. It's, it's good to get my name out there. They, they can be very profitable. I really want to do weddings. That's, what I, that's why I created the van. That's why it looks how it looks. Anyone that hasn't seen it, it's cream colored and chrome and classic and for lack of a better word cute looking so it's the type of thing i could have colored i could have painted it any color and i was having spoke to the, the guys that did the paintwork they've done one before who painted it bright pink and bright purple and does festivals and i'm like okay oh, yeah, no. <laughs> you said that um but i didn't want a pink and purple man but it's 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 quite classic looking so that's that's really what i wanted it to be and it's, so I really want, I want to go and do weddings for people who want something a little bit different. They don't want the, maybe they don't want the traditional wedding breakfast or they want an evening do. That's what, that's really where I see the business having strength because again, desserts and they're quite a classic vehicle that's going to be in keeping that we can have some photos with because it's a wedding, there's going to be lots of photos. That's really where I want it to be. But you've got to get your name out there to get people to want you to do that for them. Because if you've never been anywhere and they don't know who you are, then they're not going to book you. So hopefully start doing some of them next year. Got a couple of bookings already, but not as many as I'd like. And then down even further down the line, I would love another van. As much as the, the hassle I've had with the first one, that seems being able to do a couple of events at the same time. So most people know that the events and festivals industry tends to work really from April to October, that's your busiest time of year. Any other any events you can get the rest of the time, that's bonus, but that's that's your that's your main trading season. So if I get to the stage where I'm so popular that I can I've got I'm turning down bookings, I'd like to be able to do two on the same weekend. But obviously that's another big financial investment and there's only one of me, so I'd have to get either someone franchised in with me or Somebody employs someone that I trust enough to take the other van with them and do the things that I do how I want them done. I was going to say as well as I do, but I, who knows? But it's you. You want it to be the same, even if it's not me, and that's that's quite a lot to ask of someone. So 
that's where I'd like to go. But one of the hardest parts of business, I think, is how to let, let go of control. Yeah, massively. But no, yeah, that's where that's where I hopefully see it going. We'll see you what can kind of tell with the fondness of how you talk about Etsy and, <laughs> and, and your brownies and the passion for the brownies that. It might be a little tough to try to install. You're gonna to have to find someone who truly believes in it as much as you do. I know that's um, that's that could be a problem. You are right. Oh, you you must you must agree. I have a huge emotional attachment to, to to the van and the business already, which I think you've got to. I could sense that. I could sense that straight away. But um, I think I messaged you Wednesday just to see how you were getting on and how you if you were nervous about. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, I think it came across straight away. Was. You were a little frustrated that the van wasn't ready. <laughs> Wednesday was a hard day, man. Wednesday was hard. So to, 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 to give people a bit of a, of a more of an idea, the van was meant to be ready for about 10 days and isn't ready. So I've been trying to make plans that to have the van ready and to be able to start trading again. So that then to keep getting pushed back is a frustration. Not only that, so Wednesday I was trying to figure out whether I could get a gazebo and all that sort of things that we've already discussed. I also had my first environmental health inspection on Wednesday morning. So I was, wow. which it went perfectly fine. It was, it was fine. It, no, there's no problem with like that. But, thank you. But like, that is, for anyone that's worked, worked in the catering industry, irrelevant of if you know your pay, paperwork is fine and you know you, clean, you know you clean and you're working all legally, it's still stressful because it, all it takes is one inspector to be in a bad mood and like wipe their finger on the top of a, of a shelf that you... Like can't even reach and go. Why is that dusty? And you might lose a mark. So it's hard, and it's your own business. It's your own passion. Not to just take everything personally. It's so hard. I, I yeah, you spot on. And I have yet to be able to not do that. I do take absolutely everything. I don't think you ever will. And I think the day that you do is the day that you probably fail. Yeah, or I need to get out one or the other. Yeah, like if, if you if you become so removed from it that you're not bothered when something goes wrong, then there's there's, there's there's an issue, but yeah. So that that was my Wednesday, and, and Liam blessed me. Text, he messaged me to say, "Are we still on to do the podcast?" And obviously we are. You're listening to us now. But I that was just after a, a day of dealing with environmental health and getting the news that my van probably wasn't coming. It eventually did, but probably wasn't coming down in any form for my first deep So yeah, I was. I, I probably could have been a little bit more positive, but. That's, that's that's reality. Like, that's that's exactly what how I was feeling. You know, clearly, probably should have been like, yes, mate, no problem at all. It's all fine. But, <laughs> but, <laughs> I wouldn't have believed you. <laughs> but yeah, so it's it was, to be honest, in business, frustrations are going to happen. Things are going to go wrong. I think it's just very important that you always kind of take a minute afterwards to look back and say, you know what, we didn't get to drive the van there, but it was there. It wasn't. And you just learn. And take something on for the next time because I mean, if you let everything get to you, you might just. <laughs> and you got you got to learn to problem solve. Like, like yeah, anything like toes. the amount the amount of things that I had to, had to learn about since starting this business that I never thought I'd have to learn about. Like, like I say, I'm a cook and I can do a few things well, but I didn't know anything about power outputs, generators, like all these sorts of things. Like the boring stuff, no one ever thinks about. Tax. Tax, like an accountant's like, it's like, what? I don't know any of this stuff. So you do have to learn it. And you have to learn how to fix things at the drop of a hat that you never would have had to experience before. Because if you work for a large company, then you just send a report off and say, this is broken. Can we have a new one? Or can someone come and fix it? And it happens. But 
And when it's yours, you either, you either have to do it yourself or just a firefighter. Fire, you, fire, that is exactly the word. Yeah, yeah. Just running around, going right. That's 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 all right now. Now what do we do? Oh, that's that's gone wrong. But it is what it is. It's I did expect it. You just you can only you can only plan for so much. And we're all I like to say I went into this probably naive. I think everyone does that. It's starts a business. Then you you've, you can budget. Like my, I had a budget. That budget got blown away. Like the amount of things that everything cost twice as much as I thought it would, even though I'd researched it on the internet because things happen. And then like four or five things come up that you didn't even know that you needed. You speak to someone and they're like, oh yeah, you need to sort this out. And you're like, oh, okay, there's another couple of hundred quid just gone on something that I didn't even know existed. So you don't feel like you've got anything for your money, but you have to have it, so it's there now. Firefighters, that's all you are. Firefighters. Firefighting brownie maker, that should um, probably be my job title. Somebody was listening at home now thinking, oh, I wouldn't mind having a go at that. Is there any advice you could give somebody about to start their own business, uh, especially street food? Business? Definitely, definitely. A couple of things. Contact a street food vendor, yourself. Anyone that you think, is, especially if they're doing the sort of food that you want to do, try and get some experience. Go and work for them. Go and do a setup, do a close down, because it's harder than you think. And you also need you need a niche, so your you've got to, your product's got to be you've got to back your product more than anything else. But you can't go and if there's in your area because that's where you're going to start. If you want to go national, you go national. But you, what you probably your bread and butter is your local area. If there's seven street food vendors doing pizza or doing burgers, probably shouldn't do burgers because they're already oversubscribed. Yours might be incredible. But are they that much better than the people that have been doing it for four or five years and have already got a reputation? Who knows? So you need you need to have you need to try and fill a void. It's the same with anything. If, if you see a need, try and go and do that. That's that's apart from the fact that I I have been making brownies for years and I'm pretty proud of them. There was no one doing brownie street food when I started the business. There is another person in the Midlands who does do it, but they watch. She's only just started too, but. You, you need to try and fill what you perceive as a need because, like you said, if you're going to go and do the same thing as everyone else, it's going to be very difficult for you to get gigs because why would an event organiser give you a, give you a gig over somebody that they know and is proven and has got their own following if you're just doing the same food? Absolutely. That and just try and make sure you've got some time and, and, and like a contingency fund because you'll need it, trust me. So where can we... Find you and Etty anytime soon. Uh, I'm doing, just not to continue to talk about Digbirth, I'm doing their Shrewsbury event at the end of the month. The next one after that, I'm doing the Eclectic Wedding Extravaganza, also in Digbirth at the Bond. So for anyone that's thinking about having a wedding that's a little bit different, we're exhibiting there, we're also selling the brownies. And then my Saturday debut at Digbirth at the end of November. The next few events in the calendar because that's, that's where we can find you. That's where we can find me because unfortunately, because of the mechanical issues, I couldn't take as many bookings as I might have wanted. So there will be more coming. I just have, can't announce them yet. But it's all it's called the Brownie Bus. It's all over social media: Instagram, Facebook. Where can we find you? Watch your... So it's at the Brownie Bus on Instagram. It's the Brownie Bus on Facebook. It's the underscore Brownie underscore Bus on Twitter because somebody with an egg and six followers has the Brownie Bus, which is annoying. And the, time. the website is www.thebrownywest.co.uk. So it's all over there. If you message or if you say anything to any of those, you will get me because I'm the person that does it. So if you want to get in touch for any reason, any of those, I'll be happy to talk to you.
Excellent. Thanks a lot for today, Ali. No worries. It's been brilliant. Cheers, mate. Thanks, mate. Well, there it is, our first ever episode. Thanks to Ali, and thank you for listening. Now, as you just heard, when we recorded the podcast at the end, I asked Ali to tell us all about his up-and-coming events. I failed to realise that by the time I'll be putting this podcast out, most of them events have passed. So my apologies to Ali, but he's got a few new dates which he sent me over. He's at Digbeth Dining on the 24th of November. He's at Ashby Gusto Festival on the 2nd of December. He's at Shrewsbury Digbeth Dining Club on the 8th of December. The Cheese Toasty Festival in Digbeth, which sounds amazing, on the 9th of December. And then at the end of the year, the 31st of December, he's got the big New Year's Eve party at Digbeth Dining Club. Make sure you get there and try out them brownies. They really are incredible. A full list of those events can be found on our website. Just follow the link in the podcast description. And be sure to check out our website. It's breakingbreadpodcastuk.blog for all the show notes and links to what Ollie's and the Brownie Buses social media and all of our own social media. And if you did like the show, please make sure you like and subscribe. Thanks again for listening. Our next episode will be the first of the Breaking Bread Review shows with me and Carl, where we give a blow-by-blow account of our experience at the newly opened Nocturnal Animals in Birmingham. And be sure to check out our website where you'll find the written review that goes with this.